Okay, real talk. When did paying someone back become social media? What do you mean? Like, say I want to see what you're doing and who you're hanging with, and you're not posting about it on your story. I can just stalk your pay app and find out what you're doing. Oh, yeah, that's weird. You do that? No, I don't do that. I use Apple Cash. It's built into your iPhone, easy and secure. You can send and receive money right in messages and keep it between friends, and then use that money to buy something at a store with Apple Pay. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Maybe. Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Terms apply. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Criminalia, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Philandering husband Edwin Post found himself blackmailed by a scorned mistress who threatened to go public with their affair unless he paid her and her publisher to stay silent. This is a story about blackmail, but it isn't actually a story about Edwin. Not really. This is a story about how his wife, Emily Post, suffered the humiliations of his actions and the blackmail that ensued, and then came out on top. Let's hop back to New York City during the Gilded Age for this story of adultery, blackmail, and best-selling books. Welcome to Criminalia. I'm Maria Tremarchi. And I'm Holly Fry. Emily Post was born Emily Price in 1872, the only child of Josephine Lee, a coal heiress, and famous architect Bruce Price. Born into a wealthy and socially prominent family in Baltimore, she was educated by a German governess and... After the family's move to New York City, she was enrolled in Miss Graham's finishing school. Her family was close with the Astors, the Morgans, and the Vanderbilts. She made her social debut in New York society shortly before meeting her future husband, Edwin Main Post, a prominent banker, at a ball in a Fifth Avenue mansion. They married during the summer of 1890, possibly 1892, and then they settled in New York City. They also had a country cottage that was called Emily Post Cottage in Tuxedo Park, New York. It was one of four cottages she inherited from her father. The Tuxedo Park community was one of his designs, and he had named that cottage after his daughter. The couple had two sons, Edwin Main Post Jr., born in 1893, and Bruce Price Post, born in 1895. Edwin Post was not a good husband. He had little interest in his wife except for her money and her social position, and he was known for his serial and hardly secretive extramarital affairs with chorus girls and starlets. The Post's marriage had become distant. 
About a dozen years in, Emily divorced him after one jilted lover made him the target of blackmail. Scandal in their social circle was not a scent you wanted lingering around you. Edwin's role here as adulterer and victim of blackmail, it turns out, was actually a catalyst for what Emily would become. And you'll see this as their story unfolds. Yes, we are talking about the Emily Post, whom we today know was a, quote, fun-loving, banjo-playing workaholic who became the go-to on etiquette advice. So here's what happened. In late April of 1905, Edwin ended an affair with a young woman actor, but she continued to make romantic gestures toward him. And seeking his attentions, she returned to the Connecticut cottage that he kept solely for his lovers. When he spurned her advances, she took revenge. She strategically contacted the office of Colonel William Dalton Mann, a Civil War soldier turned gossip columnist. Colonel Mann, who was a Civil War hero, was described as both suave and condescending. You'll also find him described as looking a lot like a stereotypical Santa Claus. I don't see We it. don't know what that's about. <laughs> Did he wear red? Was it his beard? We really don't know, but that is one description that you'll see. He was the owner and publisher of a gossip sheet called Town Topics, and he was no stranger to scandal. Mann wouldn't allow sloppy grammar or poor writing in his publications, but he was just fine with extortion to get the stories he wanted and a little money in his pocket. He'd previously had his hand in several blackmail schemes, and he actually had an organized plan ready to execute for demanding money in exchange for keeping the love affairs of high-powered businessmen under wraps. He hired or paid off domestic workers, friends, spouses, and family members to spy on his potential victims. He would then bully those victims into paying for a subscription, if you didn't hear my air quotes, they were there, to an expensive book. Subscription prices were set on a victim-by-victim -victim basis. The book, by the way, was fake, and the subscription price was just code for blackmail. Through friends and the rumor mill, Edwin was already familiar with Mann's scheme before he became a target of it himself. Mostly, people in his social circle just paid the requested blackmail money and moved on. Representatives of Town Topics contacted Edwin, and Charles All, who was Mann's second-in-command, suggested that he and Edwin should meet as soon as possible. And they did, in June of 1905. Town Topics, it was explained to him, was going to go public with details of Edwin's affairs. But they would suppress the gossip if he subscribed to a vanity book that they intended to print sometime in the distant future. $500, Town Topics editor suggested, would cover the costs. And remember, this was a fake book, and the $500 was hush money. All added that the other men had been, quote, taxed at a greater amount for similar reasons. Mann referred to this scheme and those he targeted as his Gilded Age prey, a group of select men and women who were basically stalked by the writers and editors of his publication. He had a group of wealthy New Yorkers that he took great pleasure in stealing money from through his extortion schemes, and this went on for years. Edwin sought advice from prominent society lawyer Phoenix Ingram, who insisted that Emily be brought into the discussion. It was agreed the posts would not pay man. But before we start talking about how the blackmail scheme went down, we're going to take a break for a word from our sponsors. And when we're back, we will talk about how the scandal played out in the headlines 
and at home. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Listen, you listen to true crime podcasts. You know that the world can be dangerous and unpredictable and that there will unfortunately be people who want to hurt each other. And so it's kind of nice to get a little peace of mind by having a good home security system. Just take a few precautions. And I recommend looking at Simply Safe Home Security. I've had my home broken into in the past and it was a terrible feeling, even though nothing that bad really happened. Aside from an intruder, I just really like knowing that I have a security setup that lets me check in on my pets when I'm not home. That is a huge peace of mind giver when I am out traveling. Simply Safe sent me a whole home security system, and I was really, really impressed by the variety of indoor and outdoor cameras they offer. And the whole thing is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash criminalia. That's simplysafe, S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash criminalia. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hey, everybody, it's Holly. Listen, I've been doing stuff on stage since I was a kid, which means that I have been doing my makeup since I was a kid. And I can turn out a look when I need to, but on my day to day, I really like to keep it a little more relaxed and low key. I don't have time for a full face most of the time. But that also means that Thrive Cosmetics can have me covered no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm doing something on stage, like I have an appearance or a live show, or I'm just running to the grocery store. Something in their line is perfect. And what I really love and what's important to me is that they are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free. And to me, cruelty-free is very important in the cosmetics I use. I mentioned that I've been doing my makeup for a long time. I've gotten older <laughs> in that time. And one of the things that I've done to refresh my look is switch over to their brilliant eye brighteners and use something like a rose gold shade to really like go all around my eye and then just blend it out and get a daytime smoky look. It makes me look a little more youthful and more refreshed. And it's just easy as pie. And it means that I don't have to mess with a whole ton of products. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash criminalia. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash Criminalia for 10% off your first order. Welcome back to Criminalia. So let's talk about how, when confronted with a divorce, Emily Post blossomed in a new writing career. Instead of giving in to the demands pay the money or pay the price of public humiliation when your affairs go public in print, Edwin decided to stand up to the blackmailers and expose them, hoping it would make him look like a hero. Some versions of Edwin's story suggest that while his wife was from a wealthy family, Edwin, due to bad investments during the Panic of 1901, personally did not have the funds to make the whole thing go away. He contacted authorities and was involved in a sting to have the blackmailers caught and arrested. They were apprehended by police in a local restaurant while waiting for their payment. 
Charles All, too, was arrested in Edwin's Wall Street office, and he was prosecuted and convicted of extortion. Edwin's colleagues celebrated him for standing up to threats, and some versions of history suggest that he even received a standing ovation on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Whether that's true or not, Edwin did raise his social status by standing up to bullying and blackmail. But his wife did not receive similar celebration. In mid-July of 1905, both the New York Times and the New York Tribune began publishing running commentary of Edwin's blackmail situation. Across the front page of the Tribune splashed the headline, Stockbroker's Way of Dealing with Bribe Offer. Edwin Post, the article stated, was a partner in a brokerage firm and summered with his wife and children in Tuxedo Park. The Baltimore Sun, which was Emily's hometown paper, ran a short front-page article on Edwin's affair but did not mention that Emily was the daughter of Baltimore's famous and celebrated architect, Bruce Price. The New York Times did portray Edwin as the hero he wanted to be. Kind of. However, in trade, Edwin had publicly exposed his infidelity and embarrassed his wife, as the gossip and then his subsequent lawsuit against Town Topics were splashed across New York City papers for months for everyone to read. Of all involved, the name of Edwin's paramour seems to have been the only name kept secret during this whole blackmail case. Divorce during the Gilded Age was possible, but society frowned upon it. Plus, it was incredibly difficult to obtain one in many areas of the country. While suffering through the days of the blackmail scheme, Emily insisted on maintaining appearances and would go to meet Edwin at the train each night, only to return home each night alone. She would later say that she and Edwin together decided to expose his blackmailers, but historians, including her biographer, disagree with that rose-colored glasses view of her marriage's final act. Though Edwin and his lawyer warned her of the impending storm, it's believed she was not involved in the decision. It's also believed her revision of the event was her attempt to conceal Edwin's failure to protect her, his wife, from social humiliation. The couple divorced about a year later. Emily never forgave Edwin. Later, she would write, quote, The man who publicly dismirches his wife's name besmirches still more his own and proves that he is not, was not, and never will be a gentleman. She was opposed to divorce both before and after her own experience and never had another romantic relationship. In her article called On the Care of Husbands, which ran in Life magazine three years after the divorce, Emily openly chastised women who paid more attention to winning the vote than to ensuring their husbands were comfortable and content. The vote in this instance is, of course, in reference to women's suffrage, women's legal right to vote in elections in the United States. Emily rarely mentioned her ex-husband after their divorce, and neither does history. According to Emily's grandson, Billy, quote, she never once mentioned Edwin in my hearing, nor did she ever speak of remarrying. I have absolutely no idea whether my grandmother wanted to divorce Edwin or not. What I do know without a doubt is that she did not wish her personal problems to become public, ever. Emily went on to transform herself into an expert on successful marriage and the ins and outs of daily etiquette. You could say the blackmail and eventual divorce led her into a successful writing career. Remarrying was the traditional path for a woman of her status in the early 1900s. 
But with no interest in another relationship and no forthcoming financial support from Edwin, Emily charted a different path. Her writing career began in roughly 1902-ish, when Frances Hopkinson Smith, who was a family friend, passed along some of her letters to an editor at Ainsley's magazine. It was after the tragedy of her marriage that Emily really flourished. She became a novelist, a travel correspondent, and a syndicated columnist, and she raised two sons. And that is all before she became famous for her writings on etiquette, which is probably how many of us best know her. Edwin had discouraged her creative talents and interests, but after their divorce, he no longer stood in her way. She published five novels, Flight of a Moth in 1904, Purple and Fine Linen in 1905, Woven in the Tapestry in 1908, The Title Market in 1909, and The Eagle's Feather in 1910. In 1909, Emily's mother tragically died in a car accident, leaving her daughter a large inheritance. Her father had already passed away in 1903, so she had enough money to live on, but Emily chose to stay in the writing game. On April 25th, 1915, Emily left on an adventurous road trip from New York to San Francisco with her son Edwin and her cousin Alice Beedleston. This was adventurous, yes, but it was also dangerous. Both cars and roads across the United States weren't always up for the trip at this time. It was shocking for a woman to engage in such a thing. It took 27 days and close to $1,800, but the trio made it. Emily's cross-country story was published by Collier's Weekly in three parts, on September 4th, September 11th, and September 18th, and it was so well-received it was turned into a book called By Motor to the Golden Gate and published in 1916. We're going to take a break here for a word from our sponsors. And when we return, we'll talk about when and how Emily Post famously became the go-to on all things etiquette. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Welcome back to Criminalia. Let's talk about Emily's famous etiquette book and what it did for her career. The 650-page Etiquette, the Blue Book of Social Usage, was published by Funk and Wagnalls in July of 1922, when Emily was 50 years old. Referred to then and now simply as Etiquette, the book became a bestseller, despite its author allegedly stating, quote, domestic details bore me. The way Post herself liked to tell the story, she hated the idea of writing a book that told people how they should act. Long after she became the queen of etiquette, Emily would claim that it was Frank Crowninshield, the long-standing editor of Vanity Fair magazine, who had put her up to it. She claimed that he had urged her to consider all of the people who would benefit from such instruction, including, quote, all those new war wives desperate to know how to write a thank you note, all those immigrants who had made it to our country before the rules tightened, all those new money people ashamed to admit they had no idea how to behave in society. So whether that story is true or not, in 1921, she was approached by Richard Duffy of Funk and Wagnalls and asked to consider writing a book on etiquette. She agreed to do it only because she, quote, took issue with the content in the available books on the subject. According to her biographer, though, Emily had actually proposed this very type of book to a literary agent years earlier who had dismissed it as unworthy of her. She got there somehow, regardless of which path, and Etiquette was a nonfiction bestseller. She'd hit a nerve, and Emily's advice about everything from forks to greetings became incredibly popular. At this time in the United States, for instance, people weren't always taught not to blow their noses into their hands, or that propping one's elbows on the table at dinner, quote, really makes no difference. Her books helped people fit in. Every edition of Etiquette emphasized her one basic rule, to make the other person feel comfortable. In addition to writing, she also established herself on the air, talking about etiquette on her own radio show sponsored by General Electric. Her program was so popular, President Franklin Roosevelt stated that the greatest compliment he'd received when he started his own fireside chats was, quote, you're as good as Emily Post. She received thousands of letters a week and wrote a monthly column in McCall's magazine. In addition to content creation and becoming a star media personality, she endorsed all kinds of products, from cigarettes to gingerbread, and she financed the construction of a 14-story apartment building at the corner of Madison Avenue and 79th Street in Manhattan. She moved into apartment 9B, and in what sounds like the dreamiest arrangement, her friends filled the rest of the building. Since the first edition of Etiquette found its audience, the name of Emily Post has become synonymous with all things etiquette. And in 1946, after 65 reprints of her book, Emily founded the Emily Post Institute with her son. 
Four years later, Pageant Magazine named her the second most powerful woman in America after Eleanor Roosevelt. Emily Post historians, including the Emily Post Institute and her biographer, believe that at the heart of her philosophy of life was kindness. And Emily tells us just that in the very first edition of her etiquette book, quote, Best society is not a fellowship of the wealthy, nor does it seek to exclude those who are not of exalted birth. But it is an association of gentlefolk, of which good form in speech, charm of manner, knowledge of the social amenities, and instinctive consideration for the feelings of others are the credentials. When she died at the age of 86, Life magazine reported that, quote, the world has lost its best-known arbiter of good conduct. And that is our Emily Post blackmail story. It's really a story about Emily, not Edwin. (laughs) (laughs) I I like that this is one where the person who's most harmed by the whole thing comes out on top. We don't always get those. No, we almost never get those. (laughs) Would you like a little coercion concoction? I would love to hear about this drink. I hear it's delightful. The drink, I think, is pretty yummy. But here's the thing that's Emily is very interesting in a variety of ways. One of which was Emily is alleged to have never had a drop of alcohol in her life. What's very, very interesting about her is she was also against prohibition because she was not a teetotaler. Mm -hmm. This is a really interesting time in American history where a lot of the people or a significant fraction of the people who were really pushing for prohibition were women who had probably most of them been exposed to some really bad experiences because of men who could not control their relationship with alcohol. And so that was a big driver of it. But Emily is this weird outlier because, aside from the fact that she also was not about the right to vote, but we're going to look over that. Time and place. Um, I'm going to go with time and place. But then she was like, no, I don't think prohibition's good. You should let people make their own choices, which is pretty interesting to me. One, for this concoction, we're going to start with the mocktail, since she was not a drinker. But this mocktail has its own function, I will say. And I'll explain it at the end. This is called Good Conduct, by the way. And it starts with a half an ounce of rosemary syrup, which you are going to put in your shaking tin with three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice and an ounce and a half of pineapple nectar. And give that a shake because you have a lot of sugar in there and you want the, sh- the citrus to break down your sugar so everything can come together nicely. And then you're just going to strain that into like a double rocks glass with ice in it. And you're going to top it with three ounces of ginger ale. You can hit it with like a dash or two of Angostura bitters and then garnish it with a rosemary sprig. This is a delicious drink. I am in love with this thing. I want to make it constantly. (laughs) But the whole idea that I was trying to work on while I made this was that I wanted to make a drink that a good hostess could offer any of her guests with the option that whatever spirit of their choice would go into it and they would all work. So if you want to add an ounce and a half of gin, great. An ounce and a half of Mm -hmm. vodka, great an ounce and a half of the whiskey of your choice, whether you're into like Canadian whiskey or a rye or a bourbon, they're all going to work in this drink. The flavor of it is what I would call refined, but not stuffy. It's interesting. The flavors all do nice things together, but it's not like fancy. Just drink your drink. 
I made mine with a rhubarb gin that I had found at our local liquor store recently, and that was delicious. delicious. (laughs) But I really wanted to come up with something that, you know, if you were having a soiree and you wanted like your signature drink or whatever, Mm -hmm. you could make, and then the guests all, you have made them all feel comfortable by saying, if you would like to add the spirit of your choice, we can absolutely do that. But if you don't want any, the main drink is fine and it has no alcohol. Ta-da. Obviously, for some people, if you really are hardcore and you do absolutely not a drop, leave those bitters out. It's not a big changer. Right. That just adds a little f- flavor zing to it. But this felt like the best way I could stay in line and honor Emily Post's ideology while still making drinks aplenty. This is also a really easy one to batch. If you are having people over, you can, the rosemary syrup and the lemon juice and pineapple nectar, just scale up your numbers, make a pitcher, and then just add that. Top it with your ginger ale so you still have bubbles when people are drinking it. And then obviously you can stir in whatever spirit they delight in. And that will make it easy peasy. I want to try this with bourbon I'll let you later know. today. Like, I actually have pineapple juice in my refrigerator right now, so I will be... Uh, experimenting with with different ones. I know it will work, but I want a different, you know, recently we had rye on the show. I think I might want to play with that this evening. But in any case, that (laughs) is good conduct (laughs) because it's the best way I could think of to make everybody who might be at your house comfortable. This happens a lot. I think most of our mocktail drinkers in the crowd know that when you go out you don't have a lot of options for drinks. And even if you go to a party, there are not a lot of great non-alcoholic drinks that are actually drinks that are like put together as a, a thing and not just here is your ginger ale with a little grenadine in it or whatever, which is fine. If that's what you love, that's fine. But I like the idea of making something that is uniquely itself and a little bit special. So everybody feels like they're included right out of the jump and you're not the weird outlier. It reminds me of the vegetarian party problem where you're always a flatbread with roasted red peppers. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm sorry to the vegetarians in the crowd because I have seen it happen. Some people that don't drink are perfectly happy and are like, I would like a ginger ale or a club soda or whatever. And that's totally cool. But I like the idea of welcoming people with a drink that everyone can partake in. It's It's very Emily Post. Inclusive make everybody feel good that's my hippie rejoinder (laughs) the good conduct (laughs) we are so grateful that you are here with us if you are here with us in our physical space i would make pictures and pictures of this for everyone to drink and we will be right back here next week with another story of blackmail and another coercion concoction Criminalia is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, please visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare (laughs) 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.